0: This morning, we're continuing our sermon series titled The Servant King, and our scripture reading is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 31. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first.
1: Hey, good morning. Uh, My name is Houston. I'm the pastor of preaching and teaching at Eastside Church. And, uh, man, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. I, uh, I'm filling in for Nate today, and I'll admit that I feel like I've kind of swooped in and taken a really rich text from him. I know that he's bummed that, that he doesn't get this one, but, uh, I, I mean, I understand why. This is a big passage, literally, and, and also in its significance. You know, this is one of those passages where someone finally asks Jesus the question that we've been asking this whole time. And here we have it. A man comes up to Jesus and he asks him this million dollar question. In my mind, the question, right? asks him the question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think this is a question that everyone has asked at some point in their lives, right? This is, this is a question that religions all over the world have asked and answered in different ways and, and cultures, have different answers to this too. You know, our our culture, our culture has a specific answer to this. I think it's common to hear people say, you know, if you're on TikTok or hanging out with non-believers, I think it's common to hear people say, you know, oh, every religion says basically the same thing. Be a good person and then you'll go to heaven, right? We've heard that. In fact, uh, Pew Research says that 72% of Americans believe in a heaven where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. 72%. And so here we have Jesus, who we know from the gospel is God himself. And when he's asked this question, you know it would seem at first glance that he answers it the same way. But we're going to see as we unpack this passage is that In answering that question, the answer is not really what we would expect. And see, what we find in this passage is kind of two different stories, two different sections. We see Jesus receiving a group of children and then not receiving a wealthy and righteous man. And so it leads us to ask the question, well, what in the world do these kids have that this man doesn't? And you know, when I think about this, bear with me, I think about, have you seen that show Shark Tank? Do you know the show? So we were visiting my grandparents this week, and my grandpa apparently loves this show. We watched a lot of Shark Tank this week. And and what I picture when I read a passage like this is, is I picture kind of a Shark Tank type situation. And you got Jesus in in the room, and he's in the plush chair, and he's got his notebook, and he's got this you know, fancy lighting. And, and one by one, you know, people come into the room and they're appealing to Jesus. They're pitching Jesus. And, but instead of like a business looking for investors, it's, it's like people asking Jesus, can I enter the kingdom of God? And so it, it's like, picture this scene. You know, Jesus is sitting there and, and two kids come in. And these kids, you know, they come up to him They hand him like a crayon drawing of holding hands with Jesus. And then they hug him. And he's like, oh. He smiles and said, you're in. Come on in. And it's like, you know, you imagine like the camera cutting to the lobby. And everyone's seeing this and they're like, oh. Everyone's ecstatic. Oh, wonderful. Oh, these kids. The kids got in. We're a shoe in This is going to be easy. And so then, you know, in comes this young, probably handsome, I imagine, entrepreneur. He's really good. He's made a lot of money, but it says he's kept himself clean. He's generous. He's loving, good to his parents. And and he walks in, and this is like one of those things where you see this guy and you're like, oh, this is a surefire thing. This guy's got it. The kids got in, this guy's got it. He's great. But then we cut to him leaving dejected. And it's at this point that maybe we're all a little bit confused. and maybe a little panicked. Because why didn't this guy make it? Why, what did these kids have that he didn't? And that's the question that we're going to ask today. That's what we're going to figure out. And very importantly, we're going to see what in the world does that mean for us today. And so what we're going to see is that our passage today is really in the form of a teaching, and then a case study, and then Jesus explaining what happened. In the first part, Jesus teaches this principle. And in the second part, we see Jesus' interaction with this man. it gives us a real example of Jesus uh, of what Jesus had just taught. And then at the end, thankfully, Jesus explains what happened. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a teaching, a case study, and an explanation. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified today. I pray that as we sit under your word, that you would teach us, as we open your word to our hearts, that you would open our hearts to your word. Guide us and direct us, Lord. We love you, and we know that we need your help. Pray that the words of my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, Lord, our God and Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look first at Jesus' teaching. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles open, uh, open with me Mark ten, 13. Let's look at these first two verses together. Uh, 13 and 14 says, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to him, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And so people are bringing their kids to Jesus and the disciples stop them. And and we don't know why they stop the parents. We, We don't know. Mark doesn't include it. People speculate, but he doesn't tell us that. But what he does tell us is how Jesus responds. And this is so interesting. It says that he got indignant. So this word, indignant, is not a terribly common word in the New Testament. And in the Gospels, this is interesting, this is the only time that Jesus is indignant. What we see is that every other time this word is used, this is so interesting, every other time this word is used, it is when someone feels snubbed or insulted by someone else. And so uh, when two of the disciples, James and John, their mom comes to Jesus and says, put my sons at your right and left hand. She's asking for an elevated status, right? The other 10 disciples get indignant that the two would try to elevate them above the others. Or, when we see the triumphal entry, Jesus is ushered into town and people are worshiping him and worshiping the Lord, we see that the chief priests and the scribes get indignant that Jesus would cause such a stir and be worshiped. And there are other examples of this. And every time, it's people getting indignant because they're being snubbed. And so, what we have... So interesting. Why is Jesus indignant here? Jesus is indignant because of what the disciples did. Why? Well, he tells us, verse 14, he says, For to such belong the kingdom of God. He's offended because these guys are trying to keep out the rightful members of the kingdom. This is like a picture of a bouncer keeping the owner out of his own bar. Or or picture like the host at a restaurant keeping the head chef from sitting down at a table. It's messed up because it's backwards. Jesus is indignant because, no, 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 the kingdom is theirs, belongs to them. And as concerned as everyone else is in the Gospels about their own status, Jesus is concerned about a group of kids, and he's offended because they have been snubbed. In fact, he's saying this is, this is completely backwards. This is not how it ought to be in the kingdom. And, and Jesus, wonderful Jesus, never misses an opportunity to teach, right? So this action by the disciples perfectly sets the stage for Jesus to teach about what it really takes to enter the kingdom. Look, look at verses 15 and 16 with me. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And He took them in His arms and blessed them, laying hands on them. It's like, it's like the disciples are trying to play gatekeeper, and Jesus flips it. He, he says, you want to control who can approach Me? <laughs> Let me tell you. Unless you receive the kingdom of God like one of these children, you won't enter it. You know, I think this is a popular verse. I think this, this sentiment really resonates with our culture. I, you know, where I come from, southwest Missouri, there's a company called Precious Moments. Have you heard of this company? Okay, the Chuckles, you know exactly... So it, it's this company that they make these. Primarily, they make like sculptures and and like knickknack sorts of things. And it's always these kind of cartoony children with big eyes, kind of droopy, looking down. And it's very cutie, cutie scenes, right? And it's a Christian company, and they they make uh, scenes from Scripture out of these, out of these kids in these statues. And, and like, you can picture this Precious Moments statue, can't you? It, it's Jesus. Armful of kids. The caption at the bottom says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. And we all, our hearts melt. But we miss the heat in this line. See, in our culture, we tend to think of children as like innocent and humble and, and, and all of that. But in the first century, that's not really how kids are thought of. Kids are thought of as without status or importance. They're, they're not thought of as inherently innocent. They're thought of as inherently incomplete, like not adults yet. And so they weren't mature yet, and so they're not worth Jesus' time. And so while we're here making these precious moment statues with Jesus and the kids, the disciples, they are eyes wide, mouths open. They said, Jesus, the kids? Are you sure? Do you mean, Jesus, did you mean that the kingdom belongs to the twelve of us? I said, No. It belongs to them. And in fact, you have to receive it like them, or you'll never get it. Do you feel the heat in that line? And so we have to figure out, well, what in the world does this mean? What does this mean? And like I said a minute ago, it doesn't mean that we have to be innocent and pure to enter the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is saying. Look at what Jesus says. He says specifically, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Friends, that's the key. That's what Jesus wants the disciples and us to see. We need to receive the kingdom like a child, and then we can enter it. Jesus is saying that the the right way to relate to the kingdom is to receive it like you would a gift. And I think then it starts to make sense of this comparison to children. Because let's think for a moment about children, little children, parents of little children, tell me, ask, let me ask you a question, what do your kids receive from you? Everything, right? Right, food, water, clothing, nurture, love, shelter, toys, attention, everything, right? And let me ask you this, what do you get in return? And before you say the cheesy, like, oh, hugs and kisses, hugs don't buy hamburgers, and, and kisses don't pay electric bills, right? They're sweet. We love them. You know, my daughter, Stella, she's almost eight months old, and she is completely, 100% dependent on us for everything. She doesn't know that if she sticks a whole broccoli in her mouth, she's going to choke. She can't even feed herself, Right? She's dependent on us for everything. And I have to protect her even from herself. And so how does she receive things from me? Expectantly. The only thing she knows in this world is that mom and dad are going to meet her needs. She is completely and wholly dependent on us. And she has essentially nothing to offer us. But of course, we keep doing it because we love her. And friends, that's the teaching. That's the principle that, that Jesus wants us to see. How do you receive the kingdom of God? Like a child, expectantly, but believing that Jesus is going to take care of you and recognizing that you're not really bringing anything to the table. It is solely because of his love. In his grace, and you know that those are enough. So you've seen the teaching. Here it is. Receive the kingdom like a child. Let's look at the case study. Let's look at how this plays out. Look at verse 17 with me. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here it is. There's a question. This is the one we've been waiting for, right? If you're like me, for 10 chapters in Mark, this is the question we've been waiting for. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And at this point, after reading the last section, what we should see is that we've got some red flags here already. Because if we paid attention to the last section, we sort of know the answer don't we? We sort of know, oh, receive the kingdom like a child. That's that's the answer. So this guy asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's like, we've got it. We know the answer. Go ahead, Jesus. Tell him what you told us. Receive the kingdom like a child. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? He doesn't ask Jesus for life he asked Jesus how he can earn it and so Jesus answer is different do you see that he says teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life and so I mean we're off to a bad start here already and 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 see Jesus he pulls that thread right away he's going to give us a slightly different he's going to give us a wildly different answer I'll say because he's pulling a thread from what he heard in this guy's question. Look at, look at verses 18 and 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this is confusing. This is confusing. Right? This is confusing for a lot of reasons. I, I think it's confusing for us because it seems like Jesus is saying, Hey, don't call me good. Only God is good. But really, what he's doing, he's doing double duty with this line. First, he's drawing the man's attention to the Lord and his unique goodness. And really, because we know that Jesus is God. It's, it's like he's saying to the guy, you're asking the right person, but you don't understand why you're asking the right person. It's like he's challenging what the man's saying, not, not, because, not because he's not asking the right person, but because he doesn't even understand how right he is to ask. And the second thing he's doing is he's showing this man the core of his problem. Do you see what Jesus tells the man? This is is surprising for us after the last section. He says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, so on. he's, He's saying to the guy, you know, you ask me, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the answer to that. Perfectly follow the commandments of God. And man, this guy is confident. He's confident that he says he's done that. He's kept them all since his youth. And friends, here is just a beautiful picture of why Jesus is so wonderful. Imagine you're this guy. Let's just step into his shoes for a second. You know the Ten Commandments. You know the whole Old Testament law. You've kept the law since you were young. And every rabbi, every teacher, every leader of the synagogues around you is telling you the same thing. He's saying that if you keep up what you're doing, that you are right with God and you will inherit eternal life. See, he asked Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asked this question many times before. And many people have answered him the same thing. But imagine you're him and you still have this nagging feeling in your chest. You know you've kept the law, but but you lie awake at night wondering Have I sinned unintentionally? Have I offered the right sacrifices? Or you replay conversations and you comb through everything you've heard you've said, thinking Did I misrepresent the truth there? Can you imagine how crushing it is for this man? Because he can't rest. He's not sure. And of course you can. We all can. Right? We all know exactly what it's like to be haunted by the things that we've done or left undone. We all know what it's like to to worry that we've missed or misunderstood something. We all know exactly the anxiety and the dread that this man is feeling. We know what it feels like to try to justify ourselves, don't we? This man is crushed under the weight of trying to earn his own salvation. And Jesus knew it. And that's why he said only God is good because this man is under some illusion that he was able to do enough so that one day he might be enough to inherit eternal life. And friends, what we have to see is that Jesus has compassion on this man. He loved this man. But the compassion probably doesn't look like we would expect it to. Do you see what he says to him? Verses 21 and 22. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I would say at first blush that this does not feel loving and compassionate to me. I I think that if, if I were reading this, what I would expect it to say is that Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, Oh no, you're fine. You're good. Just the way you are. Don't worry about it. I would expect this compassion and love to Jesus to feel like some good news. But that's not how the man receives it, is it? He walks away, he's disheartened because he's very rich. And Jesus' price was too steep. And so there it is. We've got a teaching. We've got a very strange case study. But I think if you're like me, at, at this point, something isn't quite sitting right here. Something doesn't make sense. Because w- when the children came to Jesus, Jesus told the disciples that it's all about receiving the kingdom with open hands like a child. But when this guy came, this guy who is by all accounts very good, very important, and very earnest, he told that guy something different. He told that man to go do something. Go sell his possessions. And so what's the deal, Jesus? Are you you changing your answers? Which is it? Is it all about dependence and receiving? Or is it about trying to be good enough? So here is where we turn to Jesus and ask Him for an explanation. Because I think the disciples are asking Him the same thing. Let's, Let's read 23 through 26. So the man's just gone away and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? He said how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, that that doesn't make sense. You said earlier that children can do it. And now you're saying that it's so difficult, impossible even. And you know, This section, camel through the eye of a needle, there are different traditions, different people have explained this to say, oh, in in Jerusalem, there was a gate called the eye of the needle and, and the top of the gate was very low and the camel could get through, but only on his knees. That's made up. This illustration is exactly what you think it is. Think camel, think needle and do the math. It's not possible. It's impossible. This picture is exactly what you think it is. Big camel, small needle, not possible. And the disciples are astonished. The word here is that they're struck down because they can't believe what they're hearing. Because they just saw they just saw a guy who by all accounts has it all together. You know, if we were comparing resumes, this guy is the best out of all of us. And and when this group of fishermen see this rich guy, even they liked him. They thought well enough of him that when Jesus said, This guy has a better chance of getting his ride through a needle than getting into heaven, they are floored. Jesus, are you sure? Are you sure this guy doesn't make it? And then it gets dark. He said, Jesus, if he's not getting in, what hope do I have? What hope do any of us have? And friends, what we have to see in this passage is that the rich man's problem was not at the core of, his wealth. His problem is he was trying to earn his own salvation, but man, he was not succeeding. This is a picture of a man full of anxiety and dread coming to the great physician for help, and Jesus, with pinpoint accuracy, diagnoses the problem. You love your money too much. But we have to see that that problem nests inside a larger problem that Jesus is diagnosing. It's that this man thinks that he can be good enough to earn eternal life, and he can't. Even this man has something that he puts in between him and God. And Jesus, full of love, tells him. I mean, I don't know about you, but the disciples' question really hits for me here. They say, who then can be saved? And Jesus shows them that they, like the rich man, they're approaching this all the wrong way. Look Look at verse 27 with me. They say, who then... Can be saved. And Jesus looked at them and he said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. He says, Guys, you are thinking about this all wrong. We're all asking Jesus, What do we have to do to be saved? How can I earn eternal life? And Jesus, full of love, says, You can't, it's impossible. You can't earn this. This is not based on your merit. You can't impress God with your resume. You can't pressure him into giving you a spot in heaven. You can't put him in your debt so that he owes you. Because at the end of the day there will always be something. And so those of us who are out here trying to earn our own way trying to trying to be good enough we're in trouble because we don't get it it's like we're trying to scrounge up something to bring to the king so that he'll let us in it's like we're hoping that if we can do enough good things and maybe swear a little less or give some money to the poor then maybe we'll have enough that he has to let us in but it's like we're taking dirty scraps of cloths presenting into the king and saying is this good enough for a suit to get in and Jesus full of love looks at us in the eye and he says no i'm sorry that's not enough there's good news because what is impossible for us is not impossible for him. And friends, we we all have a sickness and a desperate need for a savior. And for some reason, you know, we're all under this delusion that maybe we're not that sick. Or or maybe I can cure myself. But we can't. Because I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it is money. Maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a person. Whatever it is, we all have something that we keep putting in between us and God. The good news is that though we are not good enough, Jesus was. You know, while all of us are trying so hard to be good, but we're failing, Jesus was good. And and when all of us were unwilling to give up absolutely everything, Jesus did. He left his home, gave up everything, became human. He humbled himself for us. Because Jesus died on the cross, he took on our sins so that we can take on his right standing with God. And when he rose from the grave, he promised us that one day we will too. And so my challenge, my charge to all of us today, is, is don't try to earn that. Because you won't. You ask, what's the entry cost for eternal life? And well, friends, it's everything. Absolutely everything. And that's why the kids got it and the rich man didn't. Because at the end of this, we, we see it's clear that what the kids had the rich man didn't was Nothing. They knew they had nothing to offer, but they asked Jesus anyways. And he paid the price. So receive it. Receive it like a child. Recognize that the cost to pay for what Jesus did is way too high. You you could never pay him back. And so just accept it. Understand you can't afford this, you can't foot this bill but he's giving it anyways. And man, I I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you lost sleep last night because of the stupid things you've said and done. I don't know if you woke up this morning trying so hard to be a, a different, a better person than you were yesterday. But I, I want to appeal to you with this. Give up. <laughs> Give up. Because the cost of entry is too high. You can't pay it. Instead, considers the Gospel that says even though you could never afford it, he gave it anyways. And then all we need to do is be dependent on him and receive it. As we, as we wrap up this morning, You know, the last part of this passage, there's a back and forth about the disciples giving things up to follow Jesus. And I think it can be confusing. But I think when we understand the right order of these things, I think this section makes a lot more sense. Because if we are dependent on Jesus and and gladly receive what He has freely given to us, It is then and only then that, like our children giving us hugs and kisses, we give everything we have to Jesus. This is not payment. We can't afford that. This is gratitude. You know, I mentioned earlier that our effort to be good is like rags and scraps of cloth. And you know, this kind of thing, this is not a gift fit for a king. But those of you with kids, you know that these are the kinds of gifts that just melt your heart from a precious child. Friends, because we have been accepted by Jesus, despite our shortcomings, we have been made sons and daughters. And that is when we are called to give every gift to Him. And that's why we try now not to earn this, but just to thank Him. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded now that You told us to call You Father because you loved us and You accepted us as Your children. And Lord, we know that the, the good things we try to do will never earn what you've given us. But we also know that it delights you, like parents receiving gifts from children. So I pray, Lord, that as we go from here, that we would consider uh, consider this passage, consider the gift of life that you've given us, consider what it takes to enter the kingdom, consider what we really have to offer. And then I pray that after we've considered and after we've accepted this free gift of grace, that you would move us and stir in our hearts to give you these gifts of love and affection and gratitude. I pray that you would help us all to discern what that is in our lives. What are these things that we need to give to you? We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.